we do all these things. Why do we have to do this other thing? Again, that's the result of poor, first of all, of poor introduction of, hey, why are we doing this? What do we want to get out of that in the first place? And second, a too dogmatic perspective on how the OKR process, OKR routines have to be used. My favorite example is, you talk about what's the baggage of OKRs and you come with the, the meetings, the routines, you have the check-in, the definition, the review, this kind of stuff, all the meetings, which you would commonly say like, yes, this is what you have to do in order to use OKRs. And what I like to do is I basically like to detach the routine from what you're trying to achieve in the routine. And then look at, hey, what other existing routines does the team already have where this thing, this intention can be covered so they don't need to have an additional one. Welcome to Dreams with Deadlines. I'm your host, Jenny Harold. In this episode, we're diving deep into the nuanced world of OKRs with expert Tim Herbig. Tim enlightens us on the art and science behind OKRs, from his personal journey to their real-world application. Here are a few things we talked about. The bridge between strategy and daily operations. The intersection of OKRs with product strategy. The art of developing leading indicators. Finally, we wrap up with our signature quickfire questions. Let's jump in. I am stoked as always to record an episode, which is someone I highly admire today. We have Tim Herbig, who, if you don't know him, like he's got like over a decade of experience with lots of organizations, renowned speaker, consultant, soon to be author. I'm just going to plug that (laughs) (laughs) so it becomes real. Talking about all things product, product strategy, OKRs, those are a sweet spot. So I feel like you're perfectly at home on this show. Thank you so much for being on it. Thanks so much for having me, Jenny. So we're going to go ahead and start with your OKR origin story. How did this all start to materialize for you? Yeah, that's interesting. It came with the realization that in 2015, so I was working at Zing, like Germans LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. for a long time. And in 2015, I got a new boss boss. And then I learned that my last boss boss basically was doing sort of OKRs with us in this department. Mm. Uh, And that was my first like, okay, what is OKRs? And then I heard about like loosely the term and then I tried to understand it a little bit more. Then I went to a new job where I tried to dabble with it, but still very like by the book informed. And then I changed jobs one more time. My last job as an employee in 2017. And then I wanted to use OKRs in a more structured way to structure this team, this department. And that's when I arrived at all these things of like, okay, I know how to do a product. And then I tried to do OKRs by the book and realized not everything lines up. And there are some challenges of making this an actual, let's say, making this an actual amplifier of the product work rather than this is another thing we're trying to take off. And so I had this breakthrough, I would say, in early 2017. And then over time, this has evolved through my own experience, but also client work where I run into the same issues over and over again. And for me, it's typically most of the time people come to me are product teams who work in a company where the company has adopted OKRs from the top down without really explaining why or what to do or what they want to get out of that. And then they realize when they come to the product team level, it's like, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, it doesn't align that neatly. And then, yeah, because nobody seems to have the answers of what does it mean for roadmaps, for discovery, for Scrum, whatever. The key theme I try to use as like an implicit headline when I talk about OKRs is like to put the everyday usefulness over the, let's say, technical correctness. That's Mm. how I would like to phrase it as like, 
look, there are certain aspects of how to do OKRs that can make them more or less impactful, but if they don't provide value for you on an everyday basis, questions worth asking, why are you doing it in the first place? Let's launch into that then, this idea of everyday usefulness over technical correctness. Because there are folks out there, let's say Marty Kagan, he says, and I think it's triggering for you, you mentioned, if you're not doing outcome OKRs, you're not a product team. So can you explain or describe more what you mean by everyday usefulness over technical correctness? Maybe you have some stories for us. Something that I hear a lot from people when I work with them is that some wrote an article about OKRs beyond the outcomes. And there's a quote in there, which is outcomes over outputs, but not at all cost. And that seems to resonate with people. And I like, I like that a lot because this, I think this perfectly summarizes my perspective. Whenever I look at any kind of framework, I try to go back to the basics as much as possible. Of what's the original idea behind the framework? And are we still trying to, are we still staying true to that? And I feel when you go back to OKRs, the key idea is from my perspective, like to literally bridge like those overarching bits, like mission and strategy and the day-to-day -day work you do. And so I feel like if whatever kind of OKRs you have, whatever shape or form, if they don't help you do that, there's probably no point in setting them in the first place, right? Because then they, chances are high, they become a bit of a reporting tool, right? Uh, I would say, for example, teams who only maintain OKRs on PowerPoint, there's a high chance you're writing them for someone else to report them because there's no way you can meaningfully track them in, in PowerPoint, I would say. And so I think that's the key bit. If you, for example, and of course there is some, as always, there's a bit of a differentiation, but in fear, like as a generalization, I would say, if as a product, from a product team's perspective, it's different for companies and departments, but for teams, I would say, if you look at your OKRs in a weekly or B-weekly basis, and you don't see any key results changing despite you doing the right things, or even worse, the key result changes without you doing anything, and you can't influence it, like chances are these OKRs are not useful because the usefulness depends on, you need to figure out if you're doing the right thing, and so the metrics should respond to your actions. And for a lot of teams, what I'm seeing is that of course, I'm all in with the idea, like there's so many benefits to focusing on outcomes over outputs, of course. But I feel so many teams out there are just not there. And so I think there are two choices these teams can then have, or three choices probably. They don't do OKRs at all, fine by me. They try to make it an outcome OKR at, at all costs, right? They write an outcome, like a change in behavior key result. But as I mentioned, they might end up not being able to influence it. Maybe they can't even measure it. it. The metric doesn't change. So then I think it's worth asking, what's the point of having this OKR you can't influence, which doesn't help you measure this progress? Or you figure out, okay, what is a metric we can influence right now? Maybe it is an output, maybe it is binary, maybe it's a milestone, maybe one is an outcome already. And I think, again, if you want to get to this, back to this point of usefulness, the OKR to the capabilities you have right now is probably puts you in a better place to get usefulness out of it compared to we're not doing it at all or we're writing a metric or setting up a key result that, that you can't influence. So let's talk about that, right? So one of the biggest pushbacks that I think you've probably received from product teams are why are we even doing this in the first place? We already have a good strategy. We have a solid series of plans. We call it a roadmap. We have well understood KPIs that we're tracking against. What are, is your advice on how leaders or folks who champion this can overcome that resistance? Because I think that's a question a lot of folks have is, we already have a lot of established practices. This is another thing that you're asking us to do. What is the value of doing that additional thing? What do you say? We do all these things. Why do we have to do this other thing? And that's right. like, 
again, that's the result of poor, first of all, of poor introduction of, hey, why are we doing this? What do we want to get out of that in the first place? And second, a too dogmatic perspective on how the OKR process, OKR routines have to be used. So my favorite example is, you talk about how OKRs, like what comes with the, what's the baggage of OKRs and you come with the meetings, the routines, you have the check-in, the definition, the retrieve, you have all those kind of stuff, all the meetings, which you would commonly say like, yes, this is what you have to do in order to use OKRs. And what I like to do is I basically like to detach the routine from what you're trying to achieve in the routine. And then look at, hey, what other existing routines does the team already have where this thing, this intention can be covered so they don't need to have an additional one. I got that quote from a friend of mine around a product company. They worked with a very, let's say, traditional OKR consultancy. And they were like, you have to have the, the OKR check-in. And then he was like, so we do a sprint planning. Can't we incorporate the OKR check-in in the sprint planning? And they're like, no, you need to have a separate OKR check-in. He's like, wow. Why though? Why though? Right? Why? And so that's the thing. What, what I like to point out is like what you're trying to achieve in each meeting and then where else could it happen? Mm. Favorite example is OKR check-in, right? Checking in where you are and what you're going to, where you're going to go next. That's literally what teams are doing in the sprint review and the sprint planning. Exactly. Yeah. And so expanding it in there. So for me, it's about where can the aspects of using OKRs fit into existing routines? That's the first exercise I have people go through when it comes to practical integration, we talk about tools and routines, like which tools do you use to make decisions? Where do OKRs need to create more visibility, whatever you make these decisions? The same for meetings and routines. So I think it's about assessing, and that's I think that's the big break between like a finance team and a product team, because a finance team doesn't have that, right? When I talk to a finance team, they're like, we don't do check-ins, we don't do weekly standouts, whatever. It's much more complicated for them, right? But for product teams, it's like, duh, I don't need another of these. So I think it's about, like acknowledging what's part of the OKR cycle, but detaching basically the outcome of a routine from the routine itself, and then figuring out which of our existing routines could help us incorporate this outcome. That's how I would phrase it. So integratability or repurposing existing routines potentially. So really being pragmatic rather than dogmatic in the approach. Yeah, exactly. I think this probably comes down to this, like to the first point of like how to make the everyday how to create everyday benefit, everyday usefulness through OKRs, essentially. And again, part of that is, of course, where to use it, how to use it, how to incorporate it. Maybe we go into more depth about this pragmatism stuff, because there are three prevailing topics that you speak about on your website quite often. Just strategy, like kind of the foundation for all of this. Discovery work, like how do we figure out what things we probably should make investments in. And then you mentioned a lot about OKRs and the practices, for example, that you've mentioned. Let Maybe we could start with OKRs and strategy. And I know you said there's no, but maybe we discuss some of the, the key themes here. How do, how do strategy and OKRs fit together? I know a lot of people have talked about it, but let's talk about it in the framework of product in particular and product strategy. Yeah, for sure. I try to focus on these three domains like discovery, OKRs, and strategy. Naturally, they're super interlinked, which is why I work on these. Yeah. So I think, again, for me, it always feels healthy to go back to the core intent of something. And I think there are like so, many, so much good stuff out there on, on strategy, right? The person that resonates the most with me is, for example, Roger Martin, who does some great concise writing. And so, for example, basically the, the bits he says, I think if you look at all the different strategy frameworks and stuff, it always comes down to the same things, right? I think there are some unique patterns across strategy. I think it doesn't really matter what shape it comes in, what framework you use. If you understand the foundation, okay, you need to provide some kind of inspirational framing. I need to articulate, to use his question, like where to play, right? Audience, jobs, alternatives. 
And like, how do I want to win on this playing field? So differentiation, value proposition, distribution channels, whatever it is. So I think it's always these fundamentals. And of course, every team has to understand, okay, which of these do I, which of these components do I want to answer, essentially? Some might be relevant, right? B2B teams might have to think about user jobs and buyer jobs and maybe champion jobs and champion segments. B2C might only have the users. Totally different. So that's very contextual, I think. That's why I don't believe in every team has to fill out the same framework. I think the, again, the also framework independent bit is like that you have to make sure that these various choices you make in strategy are connected, right? That's okay. I think you can't say, or you should not say, okay, we're going after this user segment. Maybe we're going after enterprise buyers in Asia, but we're trying, but we're trying to reach them through Facebook ads, right? Maybe there's a mismatch there. And so these things have to be aligned, of course, or maybe you think, oh, we differentiate so greatly through a perfect user interface when all our main competitors are Apple Design Award winners. So that's probably not a differentiation you can focus on, you can leverage. So I think that's like understanding this connectedness. And so the what I love about what Martin says, right? So strategy is about answering these questions across these patterns, but then making clear choices, right? Of, okay, I do this, not that. And you can do that through broad variety of things by saying like, you talk about which user segments you go after, but maybe you also write down which user segments you're not going after, right? To make it even more explicit. And I think if you then try to put these things together, it's okay to drive our vision. We're trying to go after this segment, solve these jobs for them by offering this value proposition. Like there's a very tiny slice of a specific strategy choice you made. And then I think the, to come back to your question, the role of OKRs, as we said earlier, the role of OKRs is to bridge like this strategy intention and what you're doing everyday work, basically OKRs are there to answer the question, okay, if we manage to solve the key problem of attracting new employees for Asian enterprise buyers, to stick with that example, how would we know we have solved that? Which metrics would tell us that we have achieved that that was successful? And then of course, there always comes in this question of the timeline, right? So maybe strategy as a whole, probably as maybe six, 12, 18 months kind of timeline. So you might have a lagging metric that really captures that. You could have things like number of employees hired by Asian enterprise buyers, that makes sense. It's of course a bit of a lagging metric, but then you would try to break it down. Okay, which kind of more leading bits along the way could I influence as the product team that tries to contribute to that strategy? So it's about realistic the choice. I'm making a clear choice, meaning I could do other things as well. Roger Martin has this great test of saying, if the opposite of a strategy choice is stupid on its face, it's not a real choice. I like that a lot, right? So you, the, the opposite should be a real, a genuine other option. Otherwise you're not making a choice. And then try to translate that in, how would we know that this choice has worked in the form of metrics? And I think that's the framing for OKRs, which also tells you a lot about if you don't have these strategy choices in place, how difficult it must be for product teams to come up with OKRs. Mm, that's a good note on the linkage on what prerequisites aid in its success if they were to be adopted within an organization for sure. So it sounds like then OKRs could be maybe thought of, just to put a pin in this, as uh, just another part of the choice cascade, right? We've made choices of where, you know, if we land and this is how we're differentiated, we've made a choice in how, where we're going to go play, how we're going to go win, what does winning look like? These are just a series of choices that yet again, down to a metrics level, we've decided to firm up. Cool. Let's talk about product discovery and another one of your favorite, I think, topics, because you speak on this quite a lot. Discovery work is not necessarily linear, which is, I think, something that is a key theme <laughs> that you bring up. Yet 
we try to fit it into a frame that allows for some linearity just so that we could get things out the door. How do you marry OKRs and product discovery work in particular? Because we think outcomes and we think that has to do with we produce the thing. Our people changed their behavior because we produced the thing. But you're a proponent of backing OKRs up earlier before the thing was released. Can you tell us about that, what that looks like and why that's a good idea? Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think it's, again, if I, if you try to like reverse engineer it from like the core ideas, okay, so OKRs should help us measure progress along the way. Yet, by definition, as you said, the user outcome, at least assuming from they get like a user of a product, the outcome will only change, I don't know, X weeks after we release the thing. Right. right. So that's the issue. And so what I, the anti-pattern that I'm seeing is teams receive a, a quarter in art, uh, get or define a quarterly outcome goal, which has an actual user outcome. So they try to get go through discovery, quote unquote, as quickly as possible because they know or to hit the outcome goal, they have to ship and iterate, right? So they have to get to building as quickly as possible, which is, again, defeats a bit the purpose of discovery. And so I feel, and this, of course, highly dependent on, let's say, a company's maturity, how they work. I think you can ask yourself the question, okay, and that's the insane difficulty with discovery. Like, you don't know what we, what you will do for the authors discovery. You, don't, you won't know exactly what you will engage in. Sometimes you might have a better idea, sometimes you might not. And so, for example, there's this thing, I think when it comes to using OKRs in the context of discovery, I think you can either try to focus on more process-oriented metrics, meaning literally what can we directly influence as a team. I think Teresa Torres once had this good example of you could measure cycle time between user interactions. Again, that's a good thing to say. It's not about necessarily the number of user interviews, it's about the cadence, right? So you could measure that to say, okay, what's the cadence time? What's the cadence of interactions? What's the cadence of maybe dismissed ideas? Maybe you have things like, another thing that I like is, for example, how cross-functional are the meetings you're doing, right? So what's basically, what's the share of user interview participation or ideation from non-product departments to make it like an actual cross-functional effort? Again, these are things you can influence more directly, which bounce between outcomes and outputs, so to speak. I think the cycle time, it's more of an outcome, right? It describes a change in behavior by the team, which they can directly influence. I think that's oftentimes forgotten when you talk about outcome and we stick to the definition from George Seiden who says it's a change in human behavior. This human can also be you, right? This, the, you can also change your own behavior and measure that through OKRs. I think that's oftentimes undervalued or, or forgotten. So you can have, I think they have this process component and maybe if you have a bit of a clearer idea of where you're going in discovery, maybe you can also have key results around the predictors. So instead of the process, you might have also predictors as in which kind of metrics would predict or could predict this future success, right? So if we ultimately aim for, I don't know, a certain degree of monetization among users, a certain upsell rate or conversion rate, what are predictors we could focus on before having to launch and build the product, right? And that could mean things like maybe you're going through, I don't know, maybe you're launching a beta program, right? Or you do a pre-sale or you, you send out mark emails that suggest a feature pro value proposition that's not there yet. What's the conversion rate, the opt-in rate, if it, or usability test success rate, or if you have a rolling usability testing program, what's like customer effort score for task completion and prototypes. These could be predictors of future product success. And now I think, of course, the, it's clear that the discovery OKRs might not always make sense, right? I think it's, again, it's coming back to what could you get out of it? For some teams, there's the soft benefit of just creating more visibility for discovery work, 
right? By, by just being able to, in the OK, discovery check, in the OKR check-ins, to also talk about not just this delivery, but also discovery OKRs to just, again, create visibility. So I feel it's a nice it's a ramp for product teams to make discovery practices more normal, more regular. And maybe over time, maybe you don't need additional OKRs for measuring discovery because it's so ingrained, it's so normal. It's clear that you don't rush for this two-week period just to get to building as fast as possible. But sometimes it can be a nice starting point. We're going to take a short break. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines, the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantiv. Quantiv is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantiv helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. I think that's a really that's a really nice way to think about it is that it is very much thinking about the practices, the behaviors as what needs to be influenced rather than necessarily a, a customer outcome because to your point, if we think so much about that and we maybe over index on that, we end up compressing our cycles uh, and to what end are we actually then gaining enough evidence. I think that's what you, how you describe it on your website is we need evidence. We need to reduce the uncertainty. I've read your stuff before we actually make any kind of investments in engineering debt or design or product time. That makes sense. Yeah. Maybe speaking to, to this bit of evidence, like the, I think the most impressive key result I've heard from a product team that used in the context of discovery is that they set for themselves a team internal definition of like a confidence score. So they agreed on, look, it's similar to what Ita Magilla does at the large scale, but they did it just for themselves. They said, look, having this signal increases, decreases confidence of X, Y, Z. So they just had this catalog of some criteria for themselves and they had this evidence score, internal definition, and they basically said a key result around a certain share of ideas that com get committed to delivery have to hit a threshold of X, Y, Z from this evidence score, which in count, like working backwards, requires to them to be a little bit more thoughtful about what do I commit to for delivery? Did we go through the motions of having enough confidence in this idea? Let's talk about then better practices over best practices, because something that you're big on is this idea that better is relative and best is absolute, and we want to err on the side of better. What would you say would be maybe the five different better practices that are integral to applying OKRs practically and hopefully in aiding its success in terms of adoption. So I think the first one, I'm just going to borrow from what I said earlier. So to make sure that set a key result or work with key results that you can influence directly. I think this is the first one, right? If you can't influence it directly, chances are the, the key result, the OKRs won't help you and thereby won't help you make better decisions. I think that's the first bit. I think the second bit is to say, have some kind of inputs in place that provide you with overarching direction for your team OKRs, right? And the, again, it's not about, we always need to have a fill out business model canvas and a theme-based roadmap and the free horizon vision. It's not about that. But whatever artifact you can get your hands on that gives you context around the, the company strategy, maybe the company OKRs, maybe existing priorities, whatever artifact that is, have that there so the team has something to like to look forward to. Or again, if it's more about 
uh, sometimes op op um, observe like operational teams, which are much more the day-to-day -day business. And naturally, they can't predict what will happen throughout the quarter. So they have to focus their OKRs on the way they work. So then more, it's more about their principles, how they want to work, how they want to interact, for do, potentially using OKRs. I think, that, I think that's free. Now I have to get thinking. I think the fourth one, yes, would be to the first, yeah, the fourth one's an interesting one because sometimes you might realize that the great metric you came up with is not measurable for you. It's a great metric, but you don't have no way of measuring it. And so I think there again, three choices the team can make. One would be to say, I'm just going to, we still write it up because it looks good. We're just going to put it there, but we won't be able to measure it. The second one would be to just don't set it, like to stop or maybe stop using OKRs in, um, altogether. Or the third one, which is definitely the most difficult one also for me personally is to say, maybe then the next quarter is about creating measurability as the objective, right? So it's about maybe the theme is to increase uh, the, the efficiency, operational efficiency of the team. And for that, you maybe have some metrics in mind that would signal operational efficiency, but you realize it's such a drag to measure these metrics that maybe the next cycle is about create measurability for maybe you have an objective then that says, we know how to, we know what takes up our time. And then you have key results around we measure these activities. So investing and creating measurability if you really can't measure it yet. I think that's the fourth one. And now you're really putting me on the spot with five. Maybe I can prompt you because I think this is in the spirit of Tim Hobig. Aligning OKRs with organizational capabilities. Yeah, that's a really good one. That's true. This is what um, you've literally told me before. <laughs> <laughs> I have to thank, send a thank you now to, to past me. To your yeah. previous self? Previous yeah, self. it's right on. Because I, and maybe you could provide a story around this one because I think this is important. Uh, and it ties to your previous one that maybe you have a key result it's a good one. You can't measure it. You don't have the organizational capability to do that right now, right? And so you're aligning OKRs to that premise. But maybe you can provide us a good story because I feel like you have them of here's an organization. They had this idea of what they wanted to do, but they didn't have the capabilities to go do that. And it ended up being painful. Maybe you have a story or two. So I think there are lots, so many different organizational capabilities. I think two, or maybe two or three stand out in particular, which might make the usage of OKRs more difficult. Like one would be just the way you slice teams, right? I think the most, let's say the most contradicting use organizational setup could be that maybe you have a product team. And by product team, I don't mean the actual cross-functional team, which what it usually mean, but maybe you have a product department and you have an engineering department, but they don't form a cross-functional team. And so maybe products start setting OKR for the product department with full of user outcomes, whatever, and then they hand it to engineering. Now you guys set your OKRs of what we're doing to meet these outcomes. So the, right, the, this handover is not like, uh, and because the issue is that the product managers, of course, can't achieve outcomes without the engineers. Uh, and the engineers can only focus on the code they produce without being able to tie it to a user outcome. So I think that's, do you have actual cross-functional teams? Because this question I came up earlier, that causes a lot of frustration oftentimes when I try to hold teams accountable to like, focus on OKRs you can influence, and then they end up with a microscopic key result, which is almost it's ridiculous to focus on. But that's the reflection of their actual area of influence. It's the key result that feels so meaningless because they can only influence a tiny bit of the actual work. And the problem is OKRs doesn't fix that, at which sometimes people have to realize the painful, the painful ways. Like OKRs don't fix that. You can write a cross-functional OKR, but again, if you don't have the capabilities to influence the product, the OKR won't change. And so 
That's it just makes it visible that okay, we our area of influence is so small. And there are a couple of things to think about. You could say, okay, maybe fair question, maybe OKR still makes sense for this team if it's such a ridiculously small area of influence. But maybe we could also think about a different way to, to set up our teams. Maybe it would be worth thinking about more cross-functional teams. That so that's one thing. For example, I have that the most prominent example is, for example, when you have some organizations separate front-end and back-end teams, or like maybe you have teams that are more on like internal enabling functionality. They provide internal services. And some teams of these get measured by literal end-user customer behavior. They have metrics around an NPS, for example. When they are only the ones, and 1PM described this to me, think of it as we're Ferrari, but we're only the ones building the engine. And how would you measure the team? It would be like you measure the success of the team building the engine by, I don't know, the acceleration, solely based on the acceleration or the aesthetic looks or the overall driver experience. Yes, the engine plays a crucial part. If the chassis is not super aerodynamic, how that's out of your control for how you fast to go from zero to 100 or how it feels to the driver. If the interior is poorly made, you can't be held responsible for that. And so that's what I oftentimes observe, that these teams are separate from the customer, still have customer key results to be measured by. When instead they have to think about, look, we have to think about what value we deliver to these other teams who assemble the product, for example, or what kind of metrics are really within our threshold, like maybe the sound of the engine, how loud it is, the fuel consumption in a laboratory setup, the materials being used, the technical reliability of the parts, how easy it is for integrating it with the other parts of the car. I think that's the thing to, to take a step back and figure out what's within our area of control. The and the, maybe the, the second biggest thing, it's not, oftentimes, thankfully, it's not as present for product teams, but it's sometimes occurring when you have individual financial incentives, like a bonus agreement in your contract, and you have team OKRs, because then you suddenly have competing priorities, right? On the one hand, it says we're measuring the team, but your personal goals are tied to your personal performance, not the team's performance. And that's, of course, a big problem, because and I would no, blame nobody for that. You might prioritize your personal goals to get this additional financial bonus. Of course, right? You might need it. Maybe it's a big portion of your contract or just you just like the money. There's nothing wrong with that. It's more like the organizational setup is a little bit like it's set up to, to have these things compete against each other, basically. The team success and the personal success. That's what I would probably focus on. Well, those are big ones. Maybe we can focus on something that maybe folks can control, which is the cadence of these things and the practices. I've been asked this before. I'm curious your thoughts. Because we know that product delivery happens with some cadence, with some drumbeat, but we may not find out about the results, yet we're pushing so hard for outcomes. How do we align or think about aligning when we're going to achieve something to show meaningful progress with the roadmap and the development of this functionality, like how does this fit together? How should we be thinking about that? I feel like I'm starting to repeat myself. You can stop me whenever you feel like I'm just repeating myself, but I feel like this, again, like the fundamental idea is like from a product team's perspective, you have to figure out what kind of proxy behaviors can you influence directly to contribute to business success or to the mid to long-term success. And this mid to long-term success, again, might come in the form of very large lagging business metrics like you know, market share, revenue, traffic, user acquisition, or stuff like that. And like what's basically what's leading as the, the leading indicator, what's leading or laddering up to these lagging indicators, what, which of these things can you influence more directly? Maybe this will help because we need to go a little bit deeper. 
how can people be thinking about how to develop these leading indicators as they're considering their key results? Because I think a lot of us do have a tendency to think about lagging indicators. They seem a little bit easier for us to be able to create, but nobody's really talked about like, how do you actually develop a proxy metric? How do you develop a leading indicator? Nobody really discusses that. That's true. It's uh, I think the simplest term that I like to use is I think essentially, if you look at all the levels of an organization, it's in terms of key results, it's almost, it's all like a giant key result tree. It's like, like a giant KPI tree, right? You try to build a lot of branches. And I think the art is to understand where there's a relationship between key results. It might not always be a super strict relationship, right? It's not about causation. It's not about proving that, oh, an increase in, in, in product searches directly led to a, a revenue increase of 20%. Chances are you probably can't prove that. I think that's the wrong way of trying to prove that. So it's about when it comes to leading indicators, it's more about correlation, which is why it comes back to the job of company or department OKRs. It's more about direction rather than strict linking. I think recently heard this great term from someone who said it's more about a shell than a hierarchy. Right? It's more about like creating a like a like a priority shell of where the directional shell rather than the, a direct link. I think that's the important bit. But it's like then you want to try to work backwards, and the the best mental model I found is from. Thomas Christensen a great, wrote a great blog post who says you, try, you have to find the conversion snapshot. As in, whenever the lagging moment happens, you're trying to create whatever it is, whether it's a purchase or a registration or whether it's a market share, whatever it is, think of, okay, try to imagine, can you take a snapshot of that person in that moment that they took the lagging event and then look about what kind of behaviors led to this moment for this person. And if you do that often enough for 50, 100,000 people or whatever you have, you might see the pattern of, oh, interesting, like 60% of people who have completed a purchase had more than two items in the cart. So maybe instead of trying to focus on increasing the purchase or the average order value, we focus on number in the cart because per session per user, because that correlates, again, it's not about final causation, but correlation, because that correlates with the higher order value. So we focus on that. And the art is about figuring that out. Again, the, the, your best frontiers, of course, is always quantitative data. If you don't have it, I think it's about conceptually trying to reverse engineer the customer journey, so to speak. Like what happens, what do people do before that? What do they have to do before that? What kind of actions are happening before that? And the most recently I had this like almost a light bulb moment when I did a Q&A with a client was realizing that, but what exactly is a leading indicator is so conceptual. It's not absolute because one team's leading indicator might be another team's lagging indicator. Just taking this example from if you have a front end and a back end team, as we talked about, right? Maybe the company says, for us, it's retention. Retention doesn't really work for a front end team because it's too lagging. So they focus on maybe, I don't know, customer effort score in a given checkout step. But the back end team or the internal teams to internal functionalities team is like, we don't like the, when the effort has been reduced in the checkout, that's way past our influence. So this becomes a lagging indicator for us. So they have to reverse engineer what's the leading indicator they can influence for them. So lagging and leading indicators is less about this is a set of lagging indicators. This is a list of leading indicators because the, what again, what makes it leading is, is, is contextual. That makes sense. And so what basically you're saying is, Jenny, it's freaking hard and you have to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work. This is why we get paid the big bucks to think about this sort of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I had that. Yeah, I have that like recently interesting aha moment with a client where they were like, okay, we're talking about doing an OKR session. And they were like, okay, how do you set this up? Like, what's the, how does the structure of the mural or the mural look like? And I was like, honestly, it's a, it's a, it's a giant big canvas. You just 
put some categories there and I don't come with much because it's a freaking messy journey. It's like I'm not coming with a rigid structure, right? It's not step one, write the objective. Step two, write the key results. Step three, write the initiatives. It's, it's zigzagging all the time anyways. And I think that's what's, of course, confusing people because they're like, show me the process. What's the, what are the steps? And the steps are just a set of questions and being comfortable with yeah, going back and forth continuously and the mess. Yeah. yeah, no, but that's what makes this sort of work, I think, very fun, especially for people who get bored. I think this is the best work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't get bored with that approach. That's true. You don't it's impossible. Bored, it's yeah. impossible. Yeah. It's Which impossible. makes me that's think true. then people who are like, man, okay, Arsat, I'm like, I don't know if you're doing this right. Because if you really were doing this right, you probably wouldn't be bored. Yeah, people do all kinds of weird things with the stuff that you make it's entertaining. And so when you're observing it and you're watching it happen, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't anticipate that. And we're like, how did that compare against your hypothesis to begin with? You're like, oh my, it didn't. What did you discover? And it's this constant exercise of learning. And so if you're an inquisitive mind, this is some of the most exciting things you can get involved in really. Yeah, for sure. We're going to launch into some quick fire questions. You ready? First question, what is your dream with a deadline? That's the name of the podcast, but what's yours? Yeah, it's a dream with a deadline. I think uh, doing a solo travel to, to Tel Aviv in the next two years. Ooh, we'll have to talk about that a little bit more later. I'm curious about why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the right kind of Sec answer? Is that the type of dream that's applicable? It's your dream. Okay, cool. So there is no judgment and there is no right or wrong <laughs> answer, I think. Uh, question two, when someone says, oh man, we failed with OKRs when you tried it before. We want to give it another go. Tim, help us. What's your first piece of advice for them? Yeah, clarify why you want to do it in the first place. Question three, what's a good reason why? Oof, I feel, so I think there's a by the book answer and a, and a more realistic answer. I think the, the good, I'm, I'm going to tell you both Give the realistic because like, that's who you are. Like, I like teams who say, look, ultimately for us, it's about enabling team autonomy and outcome thinking of team autonomy. Cool, that's the aspiration. The reality might be, I just want people to work on the right things, like focus and strategic connection. And that might be your starting point. I think that's really solid. Last question, we'll let you go. What would you say is maybe the book that largely shaped how you think? In general or related to occurs? Let's go with both. So I think the, the book that shaped the most how I think was Radical Acceptance by Tara Brack. That was really influential on me, was a lot of breakthrough moments. It was a bit of a follow-up from The Courage to Be Disliked for me. So these are very close, one first and second places. I feel for OKRs, as to me, I have to give credit to Christina Watke. I feel like it was the approachable bit of how, they, how she approached it. Again, the second OKR book, again, because I'm a little bit biased as well, because I had a chance to pre-read it, because it's co-written yeah, co by Natalia and my, my partner, Sonia is OKRs at the center, because I think, again, it adds this pragmatic and practical part of the, of the messy journey. Absolutely. I lied too, because the last question I have is, where can people find you? <laughs> I think the best place to find me is on my website, herbic.co, otherwise LinkedIn. So I think these are the two channels I like to limit myself to. And you have a newsletter. Maybe you can plug it. I have a newsletter. The website will lead you there. Yeah, you, will, you can't miss it, I think, if you visit the, the website. Thanks so much, Tim, for your time. This has been an awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having me, Jenny. I enjoyed it as well. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community.